Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. This episode of Gators Breakdown is brought to you by UFM Underwear. Head to UFMunderwear.com and use promo code BREAKDOWN for $5 off your purchase. UFM Underwear. Support your manhood. And also brought to you by MyBookie, where you can double your first deposit. Head to MyBookie.ag and use promo code GATORS to activate the offer. Bet. Win. Get paid. At MyBookie. Gators Breakdown, the Gators Fan Podcast, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SCC. And joining me this episode, as he does every Monday night, is Will Miles. You can find him on Twitter at WillMilesSCC and his site, readandreaction.com. Well, I had a couple Gator fans look at me funny, maybe like I have two heads or something. I was saying, you know, even though the Gators lost, and in the in the end, yes, that hurts. But, man, when the Gators shot with the Baton Rouge and played a close game with LSU, it was still a, it, it was still a fun college football game to watch. Yeah, I mean, it was back and forth. Florida's offense was able to score, which is something we haven't necessarily seen against good teams, even with Mullen last year. I mean, I guess against Michigan, we saw the offense being able to score. But up until that point, it was really a question. And, you know, we've we've seen development in Trask. We've seen development in the offense. I think we even saw some development in the offensive line a little bit going into Baton Rouge. Not a lot of false starts. Did get some push, especially in the first half. So some things to take out of it that are positive, though obviously – you know, when you double up 84 plays to 48, you usually think you're going to win that mm. sort of game. But the 48 <laughs> maybe <laughs> is the reason we're not so optimistic coming out of the game. But it's one game. It's one data point. I don't think we want to make too big a deal out of it and say, oh, you know, definitively this is wrong or definitively we need to make a change here. Um, but it is it is informative because it's a team that likely is going to be competing for the SEC championship. Whether they make it to the SEC championship game or not will probably depend on that game against Alabama. But the winner of that game is going to go on to that game, and and hopefully Florida will be there for the rematch. Absolutely. We'll get into a lot of stuff Gator fans can feel good about, stuff we feel good about this Gator team uh, as well. And, of course, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll discuss everything that didn't go so well on the defensive side of the ball Saturday night in Baton Rouge. Before we get there, remember you can find Gators Breakdown on news4jacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. There you'll find all the Gators Breakdown episodes and also catch us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or YouTube. When using those services, please share, rate, and review the show. Let Gator Nation know what they're getting with Gators Breakdown. 
and on social media. Follow Gators Breakdown on Twitter and Facebook at Gators Breakdown. Don't forget, every week later on in the in the week, usually in the back half of the week, a News for Jacks exclusive talking with Troop. Former Gators tight end Ben Troop joins me once a week this season and gives his thoughts like only he can. And you know Ben brings it every time. You can catch that every week exclusively on news4jacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. So, Will, I, I put it out there on Twitter. I know you had it in your article at Read and Reaction. You know, there's no more victories. Uh, no more victories in my eyes for sure. You know, Florida lost to LSU, and I, I'm, I'm not all happy about it, you know, but uh, I can't be happy and, and content with what I saw. Uh, you know, last week, we came on here and praised Mullen after a big win over Auburn and, and praised him for bringing Florida football to a point to where it, it's fun again, where games that mattered are being played. And fast forward to now, you know, fighting tooth and nail with one of the nation's best teams in LSU. I mean, look, eventually he's going to have to win these games. Uh, but but for where Florida football is now compared to where this program was a season and a half ago, and you can deal better deal better with a, with a loss like this. You don't have to be happy about it. And I guarantee you, these coaches and, and these players aren't either. You know, but a big picture look here is needed. Uh, of course, this needs to be you know, this needs to keep up uh, for the rest of the season and, and for this season to be deemed a success. Expectations come into play there, and I'm sure there are different views uh, of success from the fan base. But for now, you know, we as fans can, can be optimistic after this loss to LSU. I, I know I am. Uh, there's still you know several tests coming up uh, that, that that can be worrisome. You know, but it's hard not to be optimistic after what we saw Saturday night. Is everything perfect? Nope, absolutely not. You know, but coming off a performance like that Saturday night in Death Valley, as a fan, you can feel pretty comfortable about where this Gator team stands. Yeah, I mean, Florida had a chance to win the game, right? I mean, they were up 28-21, to 21, and after that touchdown, I think we were all feeling pretty good, though obviously we knew that that Florida hadn't really stopped LSU's defense, though we expect or LSU's offense, though we expected Grantham to have made some adjustments and maybe slowed down the second half, which obviously didn't happen. And then I think, um, you know, they had an opportunity to tie it there at the end. I mean, 35-28, and they're driving, and and it was another one of those long, methodical drives that they had converted all, all game long. And, you know, they just made one mistake on that play. I mean, the play call, I think, was pretty good. They got one-on-one where they wanted it. Cleveland obviously got held, which has been a big, uh, big area of emphasis on Twitter. But, uh, you know, you had an opportunity, and you didn't get the job done. Um, but, you know, like you, you said something about him, Mullen, needing to win these games. We won one last week. Mm-hmm. I mean, last week was against an opponent ranked in the top 10, yep. and Florida looked like a really good team. And and other than the turnovers, really could have been dominant there. Um, I think LSU was a step up in competition, and I think one of the things we saw is that there's still some work to do. But the work, the you know, one of the things I think we thought coming into this year was that there was a significant gap between Alabama, Georgia, and everyone else. I think LSU, because of some of the um, some of the advances they've made on the offensive side of the ball, especially if their defense can start to catch up to them a little bit, is sort of in that tier as well. Um, and so you just competed with one of the big boys in the SEC on the road, hostile environment, backup quarterback, none of your defensive ends, and you were able to acquit yourself pretty well. And I think that was reflected in where Florida's ranked now, right? I mean, they were they're ranked ninth after that loss. Um, you know, they were ranked lower than that after coming off of a win with Kentucky. So, um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I think I think they earned some national respect. I think, um, you, you know, you tweeted today about Herb Street picking yeah. up to win the East now. So certainly, some people are starting to believe in the team, believe in Mullen. Um, but it, you know, 
at least when I looked at the season earlier this year, I said, you're, you're coming off a game at a, at, you know, when I was previewing the season, I said, okay, you're coming off a physical game with Auburn at home. You got LSU on the road. LSU's probably going to be better in Burroughs second year. That's a loss. So I penciled in as a loss when I was predicting and you know, Hey, that that's what happened. Now, obviously I'd love, I would have loved to have seen Florida been able to, been able to convert, been able to turn that into a touchdown tied at 35 and see where we're at. But that's not what happens. Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. I, I think one of the things you can say is you sort of tip your cap to LSU and say they were the better team. Yeah. And, you know, hopefully we had another opportunity to, to play them. And, you know, in, what was it, 97, we played um, played FSU, or 96, played FSU, you know, last game of the year and then got them again in the bowl game, and it was a completely different result. So you sort of hope for the same thing, that you're able to make adjustments going in the second game, um, do some things a little bit differently, and take advantage of it. Well, yeah, hopefully it's not like 1999 where uh, we played a close game with Sean Alexander in Alabama and then played him again the uh, SEC championship game and it didn't uh, didn't go so well <laughs> the second time around either. But uh, absolutely, you know, you you hope what comes out of this is you know the great game we played we saw play Saturday night sometime the first week in December when the, the when the SEC championship game rolls around that you know maybe it is these two teams again and Florida does have some of their defensive ends back and Zuniga and Grenard out there and you know you can you're more ingrained with Kyle Trask as a starter and, and and kind of where you're at with Emory Jones and bringing him off the bench as, as well uh and uh you know as you said and go back kind of to the drawing board a little bit too on defense and maybe figure out a, a way to you know slow down this uh, LSU offense a bit, but yeah, it, it, coming off Saturday night. And as you mentioned, Herb Street, you know, after Georgia's performance as well, and I've seen a lot out there. And then, uh, it was, yeah, that, that podcast I referenced is one of the ESPN's college football podcast. And man, I mean, they were, the, the question was asked to Herb Street, you know, basically describe the atmosphere that was Saturday in Baton Rouge. And he described the atmosphere. And before talking about the, t- the LSU team, he talked about the Florida team and he talked about, he brought, he brought up Dan Mullen and brought up Dan Mullen, his reputation for developing quarterbacks and how he had three quarterbacks ready to go at at points this year. And and of course, in certain situations uh, for all three, but the Herb street could not, you know, talk high enough, give enough praise to Dan Mullen about where he has this team at Uh, maybe even, you know, reference that they may be ahead of schedule, um, and looking at, you know, the year and a half that he's been there, you know, we'll, we'll see. But, you know, for, for him to kind of you know, end one of his statements by saying he's now picking Florida in the SEC East is, is going to, believe me, I mean, Georgia fans are already on my Twitter feed kind of welcoming the, the news and welcoming the challenge uh, there. Some Florida fans aren't happy with it because they, they kind of like the antagonistic side of, uh, of Herb Street and, and the Gator stuff. But you know, the, the, we talked about it last week, and maybe well, Florida wasn't getting enough respect even after a, a, an Auburn win. And, yes, it is kind of weird that after an LSU loss, there, there's more respect out there. Uh, but that's the, that's the world of college football we live in right now. Yeah, I mean, I think – Everybody likes to react to one game. We see yep. how Georgia played against South Carolina and go, oh, Georgia's a bunch of bums. Nice. I think that's overreacting to what happened there. Though obviously it's fun, especially since it was the noon game. It was a lot of fun during the day on Twitter <laughs> to, to give them to give them an awful lot of crap because you know you don't always get an opportunity to do that. Um, especially considering some of the coaching blunders that were going on in that one. Um, but again, you you go to the LSU game and and Florida we sort of said that Florida was going to have to play a clean game, probably get a turnover or two from LSU. And that would be the difference if they were able to pull out the win and sitting there at 28, 21, 28, 28, even 35, 28, had they gotten one turnover, the whole game maybe switches. 
but not being able to get that turnover and then turning it over themselves, it was just too much to overcome. But that doesn't mean that they didn't play well, and it doesn't mean they didn't acquit themselves well, at least on the offensive side of the ball. Um, And I think most people are giving them a little bit of a pass considering that they had both defensive ends hurt for this one in in terms of the defensive performance. So, you know, again, like you mentioned, if they get guys back healthy, um, if, if all of a sudden the pass rush picks up again, and quite honestly, if they're not playing LSU, they're going to look a lot better and, and we'll see that moving forward. But, you know, this is one of the reasons why we, why we talk about recruiting so much is that when guys go down, you need quality depth to come in behind them. And, you know, you, you kind of equate a second year under Dan Mullen with the second year under Urban Meyer. And Meyer had two things going for him. One, Zook had really stocked the cabinet with players. Yeah. But the other thing is in, the, in that second year, Percy Harvin all of a sudden was in the offense. Mm-hmm. Tim Tebow was there to come in and run those fourth and ones that they, you know, didn't convert the, you know, the other day. They decided to go play action. And I, I think that was probably the right call based on the personnel. But if you had Tebow, he's running that ball, right? And so they don't have the same guys that they had back in 2006. That's okay. Um, The program needs to build that. But I think that is what we're seeing now. We're seeing that the depth is starting to really take a toll in more places than just, than just the defensive line, which I think the defensive line is the obvious place. But I think there are other places as well where we're starting to see that. And you wonder whether by the time you get to that Florida state game and SEC championship game, you know, can you really count on everybody being healthy? Hmm. or are you still going to be banged up just because that's what happens over the course of a football season that you get banged up? Well, especially, and we'll get into it, of course, but especially the in, the type of injuries that they're dealing with and these high ankle sprains, you know, those really, those really don't get, get better, get healthy uh, until you're able to rest them. So that's, uh, that's kind of where the, the issue there uh, comes. So, well, you know, the biggest reason for optimism goes to the, uh, the most important position on the field. Uh, Felipe Franks goes down, Kyle Trask, and to an extent, Emory Jones have done nothing but fill in and, and still let this offense produce. And, and Kyle Trask, you know, just started a, a game in Baton Rouge and played about as well as he could. And that atmosphere didn't seem to bother him much at all. We didn't see him holding on to the ball as long uh, in previous games, resulting in not getting hit and fumbling like last week. He identified matchups, whether it was Kyle Pitts or Van Jefferson at times, place of all where it needed to be uh, to where wide receivers can make catches. And, Will, even at times, we know he's not 100% coming off that knee sprain, but, uh, you know, he ran when chances were there, when plays were breaking down. Uh, he, he helped extend some plays, had a few design runs and options to convert and, and keep defenses honest, to keep that LSU defense honest. So, you know, so with Trask at quarterback, this passing offense has, taking a, has taken a step forward. He became the first Gators quarterback to throw for three touchdowns on the road versus an AP top 10 team since Tebow did it in 2007 versus Kentucky. He posted just a four 300-yard passing game by a Gator since 2010. So you're given just the atmosphere and not knowing what to expect uh, from Kyle Trask since he hasn't been there yet. Not sure, you know, of course, he, he didn't even know what to expect, but he comes out fired up. He's ready to go. He's ready to go play. Uh, and you, know, you could tell early on that uh, he, he, he was there ready to play and go make some plays. Yeah, I mean, other than the initial three and out where everybody yeah. sort of looked deer in the headlights, the offense played very, very well. I, I don't know that you can I, – I think if you were really going to nitpick the offense, you would say that they didn't have um, – they didn't have the big, huge plays that LSU did, right? Every every drive was 12 plays, 13 plays, 9 plays, which see, was I great. Was, I, was, I was okay with that, yeah. Well, it's okay because it keeps LSU off the field. The problem is is that – I mean, It's again, not sustainable. 
Well, and, and if you look at the overall stats, and this is this is something I think is a little bit maybe disturbing. Um, so Florida ran 84 plays for 457 yards. So they had 5.4 yards per play. LSU, if you subtract their seven explosive plays, averaged six yards per play. Yeah. So just, I mean, if you if you were to look at those stats, you'd say LSU won that game by 50. I mean, that's really like so they averaged 10.6 yards per play overall had seven explosive plays out of 48 so 14 and a half percent of their plays were explosives florida was at was at six so again if you if you want to nitpick i think you can say that their explosive plays are not going to the house that it that it's it's more difficult and that was sort of the thing that I think I said in, in my article is that, you know, P. Ryan busted a 17-yard run, but it required an awful lot of work for him to get those 17 yards. You know, Trask threw the ball to, to Jefferson, those back shoulder throws. They were beautiful throws, but it wasn't just guys running free. And, you know, LSU had guys running free, and it just looked easy, right? I mean, it looked like Florida couldn't do anything to stop them. And that's sort of your goal, right? That's where you want to get to. But that's not where this offense is right now. And I think based on where the offense is right now, based on the players that they've got, Trask did what he was asked to do by Mullen, executed the game plan. The only place where I would say I don't think he executed was the interception, but it looked like there was a miscommunication. He certainly threw it in a place where um, there was one-on-one coverage. It just turned out the result wasn't very good because of whatever. I don't know exactly what was going on there. You can't tell when you actually look at the play on film what was going on. It just I mean, it looks like he threw it right to Stingley, but that's really and, the only. And he, and he admitted he was just he was trying to make a play. Yeah, well, I mean, the the problem is is that it's third and one, and, yeah. and you've given him the play action, and he's and he's got the desire to make the play, but geez, throw it away and live for mm-hmm. fourth down. Yeah. But again, he's a first year starter. He he's the backup quarterback. Those sorts of things are going to happen. I, I think if you'd have told me that he was going to throw for three hundred yards and that he was going to have one interception and three touchdowns, I would have said. We got a shot, and and he did. Hey, that's, what I said in the give... that's what I said in the podcast yesterday. So there we go. <laughs> if fans saw that stat line, we feel pretty good about a chance to win that game. Well, and if you if you said the offense had four hundred and fifty seven yards of total offense and held the and had basically doubled the time of possession of LSU, you'd say mm-hmm. we should win that game. Yep. So. You know, I, I think anybody who's blaming the offense after this one or looking for massive changes on the offense probably is a little bit misguided. It, it's it's okay to look at it and say, hey, are there places in the margins where we can make improvements? Mm-hmm. But, you know, for for the overall game, Trask had a yards above replacement of 0.23. He had a passer rating of somewhere, I think, around like 143. So that's both of those metrics say that he was slightly above average. And I think that's... I think that probably undersells what he was able to do just because he made a lot of third down throws where he was able to get conversions and things like that. I don't think you can rely on those things long-term, which is maybe the thing that I worry about and why I bring up the lack of explosives, um, at least, you know, taking the ball to the house. But again, you're also missing one of your weapons and one of the guys who can do that sort of thing in Kadarius Tony. Um, And so, I mean, look, if you'd have told me they were going to score 28 points, they were going to double up time of possession. They were going to have 450 yards. I would have said, all right, I'll take it. And that also undersells the fact they threw an interception in the end zone and were stopped at the one-yard line uh, or the two-yard line on the last drive, too. So it's not as if they didn't move the ball. They just weren't able to put it in the end zone late in the second half, and and that obviously cost them. Well, and there's also the aspect of Emory Jones coming in and, and having people thinking, we have a similar look to, to Leak and Tebow uh, back in 2006. Jones comes in and kind of has a, has a more slippery Run approach, of course, 
but, you know, we're starting to see him become an asset and helping this run game, and, and that's opening up some throwing lanes on, on play action, uh, like we saw in his great throw to Kyle Pitts that Grant Delpit knocked loose. Well, it's no surprise that, you know, with the most important position and finally playing so well consistently for the Gators, that that's where a lot of the optimism comes from, whether it be Kyle Trask just by himself or you're starting to have this tandem of, of Trask and Emory Jones. We start to feel good. Dan Mullen's starting to put the, putting, putting it together. We kind of knew in this game um, – I don't going to say knew in this game, but there was an inclination that we may see Emory Jones a bit more than we have in the past because this run game needs to get going. This run game needed to get going. Uh, didn't know what kind of situation we'd see him in. Would he start drives or, or you know, what ended up playing out was the Florida gets close to the red zone, you know, 30, 25, 20 yard line. That's when you see Emory Jones to maybe try and, and help get closer there, uh, help, help shrink the field with the, with the run game, you know, get some yards with the run game. The closer you get uh, to, to the end zone, we saw that early on, uh, how he was able to, to come in and, and run the ball uh, and get some things going there. So, as we go on, uh, you, know, that's, you know, another reason for optimism at this quarterback position is because it looks like Dan Mullen starting to figure out where he wants to use Emory Jones. Yeah, I mean, I think everybody remembers John Brantley going down and Driscoll and Brissett coming in and not necessarily looking ready to play. Certainly everybody in 2013 remembers Driscoll going down and then having Tyler Murphy go down as well. And you had Skylar Mornweg come in. Um, these guys look like they're ready to play when they come in. Obviously, Trask has been ready to play ever since he came in for, for Franks after he got injured, and Jones as well, right? That when Trask got injured last week, Jones was able to come in and look competent when he was running the offense, and then he's able to add a dimension when he comes in that just isn't there when Trask is in there. Though Trask ran for quite a few yards, too. He had, mm-hmm. he had 10 rushes for 21 as well. Um, and we saw and the then, speed option with him a little bit. Yeah, well, okay. one time it got stuffed to goal line. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, you're right. DeLance makes the block. It's a little better. Uh, I mean, look, Trask is never going to be confused for Emory Jones in terms of the way he runs. He probably won't even be confused for Felipe Franks in terms of the way he runs. But I think Trask does things that are different well, and I think Jones does things that are different well. And I think that's kind of the same. You know, they mentioned during the broadcast that the way they were shuffling guys in and out really did sort of remind them of the Tebow leak Um the, the Tebow leak days back in back in the early 2000s. And it's sort of the same thing with, with Trask and Jones. They just have different skills. And Mullen is using those skills to the best of his ability and manufacturing some rushing yards. So Jones had six rushes for 32 yards and was really sort of able to keep them ahead of the chains. And that was what you saw with the offense is they didn't really have an answer when they were second and 12. They had an answer when they were second and six. And in all the drives that you look at in terms of in terms of their ability to run the ball, um, you know the touchdown drives. I think I, I uh, so I went back and I looked at all of the drives and the four touchdown drives. They had 121 yards rushing. In all the other drives, they had 29 yards rushing. In the four touchdown drives, they had 170 yards passing and then 141 yards passing in the other drives. And so really the difference between a drive that turned into a touchdown and a drive that didn't was that they were getting some headway on the ground. And Jones is a big part of that, and so I can understand why people are excited to see him in there. Yeah, I think, for one, uh, we can get uh, – I want to ask you the question, Will. How how would you like to see – you know, both quarterbacks moving forward. And I want to throw out there, uh, I think it's a ridiculous notion that people want Emory Jones to start over Kyle Trask. <laughs> and it's somehow got out on Twitter today. It's uh, it, it's picked up steam. I, I don't get it. Uh, just I absolutely do not get it. I don't see where that can even be an option right now. Uh, Kyle Trask is playing wonderful right now for the Skaters team. The, the, 
I mean, yeah, you can maybe scream at the the run game not working, but it's not like it's you know, it, it's not like it's exceptional with Emory Jones out there either right, right now. It uh, is it better? Yes, but uh, you know, the one drive he did start, it, it didn't necessarily uh, live up to, to to the billing of of him being ready to 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 lead this team as a starting quarterback right now. And that's not to down him. It's just you know, Kyle Trask is playing good right now. I don't, I don't see there's any need to pull him. You know, I, I thought. I thought going into this LSU game, I stressed enough uh, last week that we should see Jones more, and we did. It's exactly what we got. But you know, Kyle Trask playing so well right now, it's tough to take him out when when he's driving down the field. Uh, I, I thought the rotation worked well uh, in the first half versus LSU, and then high thoughts always twenty twenty. But you know, it didn't work so great and, and feel so great when he come in uh, when Jones come in in the second half, uh, especially the drive he started uh, after LSU took the thirty five twenty eight lead. You know, Jones, he's a nice change of pace, absolutely needed to help get the run game going. Uh, and if Mullen can continue to work him in and also keep Trask in the groove, then you know, this Florida offense will keep producing. Yeah, well, Trask won the backup job, and he yeah. won it in camp. And it was, you know, Mullen said, don't read too much into the guy who comes in against, I think it was UT Martin. And we all sort of were like, huh? Trask came in. He was he was the guy who was the first into the game in that one. And then, you know, obviously Franks goes down. Trask comes in against Kentucky and leads the comeback and has been playing excellent ever since. I, I don't know what – I don't know the – I don't know – again, this is sort of a recency bias thing, right? I mean, you look at it and go, it's a loss. We have to change something. And I don't know that you have to change something. I mean, I think the offense played very, very well. I think you look at it and say Trask is the leader of that offense. Certainly the offense looks different. It's more fun to watch. I think so. And I wrote this maybe a month ago, the differences between what Trask does and what Franks does. And they both have different strengths and they both have different weaknesses. Mm -hmm. I think that Frank's weaknesses make it a little bit uglier game to watch. And so, you know, last night on third or two nights ago on third and one would, um, you know, would Franks have been able to get that one yard? Maybe. Would he have been able to punch it into the end zone on on the uh, on the lead? Maybe. Um, you know, there's so there's some things that Franks tends to do better than Trask. There are things that Trask does better than Franks. But at the end of the day, Trask won the backup job in camp. And if you thought he was the best, if you thought he was the best player in camp, what has changed your mind with the way he's played on the field yeah. that makes you think that somebody else is better? I mean, at that point, it's just sort of hope, and it's like, hey, Emory Jones came out. He looked he looked really good when he was playing, but I don't think he looked better than Trask. Like I, I don't know what people are looking at. When, I, again, I think it's I think it's indicative of we don't like the outcome, so we need to make a change. And I think it's also the same thing with people who are criticizing that third and one play call. Right? That mm -hmm. you know he had what he wanted. There was one on one coverage. It didn't work out the way you wanted. The players didn't execute it appropriately, but you had exactly what you wanted. So to say, oh, run it and keep the drive going. It's like you had the touchdown. Like if the throw's in the right place, you have the touchdown. Yeah, if you throw it or, to the right instead of the left, it's well. I mean, and if you throw it to the right, you get the holding call. Or if you throw it to the right of Swain, maybe yeah, you that's get what it. I meant. Yeah, the right of Swain. Yeah. But again, I don't know who to blame there. Right. Yeah, I don't need because yeah. Swain had inside leverage on the yeah, guy. Right. And so I can understand why the quarterback would throw it inside. And anybody saying, "Oh, he made a bad read," it's one-on-one -on -one coverage. Like that's where you're supposed to throw the ball. So. Again, you got what you wanted in the situation. I don't think it's a bad play call. I think you look at the result and say, we followed our process. The result wasn't what we wanted. But if we follow the process, nine times out of ten, we're going to get a positive result because we got what we wanted. And it's the same thing with your backup quarterback. Your process is you evaluate guys in spring camp. You evaluate guys in fall camp. You figure out what they can do, what they can't do, which is part of the reason why Trask isn't the only quarterback playing because he does have some things that he maybe doesn't do so well. But 
over the evaluation in the fall camp and the spring camp, Trask won the job. And now you look at it and say, okay, he's played excellent. He played great against Tennessee. He played great against Kentucky. He played above average against Auburn and LSU. You know, again, I just look at it and say, he hasn't done anything to lose the job. I haven't seen anything from Jones that makes me go, oh yeah, that guy absolutely has to have the job. And that doesn't mean Jones isn't a good player. He may be an excellent player. I just haven't seen anything that makes me go, oh, he's definitively better. It's just, you know, we needed one more play in this game against LSU, but I don't know that you would have gotten it from him either. Yeah. Yeah. I hate bringing up that topic, but it was just, it, it got thrown out there as far as Jones needing to start over Trask. So, you know, it, it, we needed to, needed to bring it up here. Uh, but well, I mean, I, I guess going back to the original question, uh, can we kind of, yeah, to get off there, how, how, how would you use it? How would you use both quarterbacks moving forward? Would you, would you like to see it like we saw versus LSU and more of Emory Jones just to help get the running game going? Cause no, no doubt it does help. We saw it. There was yards there. Uh, as I said, it's a different approach than the comparison with Leak and Tebow. He's not he's not a power run quarterback. They run the same type of play, but he's a little more slippery. He will slip slip between tackles, slip between offensive linemen, and, and get his few yards that way. Not saying he can't bowl over defender or won't or can't, uh, but you know th- it is a different style. Uh, a little little more quick twitch uh, when it comes to Jones running the ball. I mean, I don't know. I, I think Florida's advantage is clearly in the passing game. I think with the wide receivers that they mm-hmm. have and with Trask's ability to deliver the ball to them, that's where their advantage lies. Now, again, I just cited some stats that say that they ran the ball well in their touchdown drives, and so I do think it's important to get a little bit of push up front, but I also think it probably is important that they just actually attempt it, right? So um, if you look at how many running plays they ran – um, they ran 22 in the first half, 18 in the second half. Obviously, they were behind a little bit in the second half. But in that fourth quarter, they had 17 pass attempts to 10 rushing attempts. And again, I know they were behind in the fourth quarter, but they were not behind by two touchdowns until um, mm-hmm. you know until sort of the last six minutes of the game. So, you know, did they run the ball enough? Maybe. Now, I will say that they averaged 4.9 and 4.6 yards per rush in the first and second quarter, and then 2.6 and 2.1 in the third and fourth quarter. And I do think that's kind of maybe where Mullen was at when he brought in Jones for that one series, is he was just like, I got to get something going. I got to get ahead of the chains after having that, um, you know, after having the drive before where they had the holding penalty and then they had the sack and, you know, just really got behind the chains from the start and couldn't overcome it. I think he sort of wanted to get to second and six. And unfortunately they got stuffed and all of a sudden it's third and 10, third and 11 and and Jones is out there throwing the ball. So I I don't know. I I think I would like to see them run individual series rather Mm. than running them in and out, unless you've got a third and one, because I don't necessarily want Trask running the ball on third and one into the, into the pile. Mm. Um, You know, so use him as the battering ram for third and shorts, and then maybe give him a series in each half where you've got some scripted plays and potentially, you know, one of the things I thought we'd see, and we kind of did with the throw that got dislodged with Delpit. But one of the things I thought we would see is that those guys were really firing up whenever Jones started to run the ball. Yeah. And when they brought him in there, I was wondering whether they were going to try something that had a little bit of trickery to it or some misdirection. And that's the one thing we haven't really seen with Emory Jones. There hasn't been something where they've like rolled him out to the right and then thrown back to the left or taken advantage of the fact that everybody's got their eyes on him because they think he's going to run and try to sneak somebody out the backside. All right. Uh, we'll get to uh, the other side of the ball where the optimism kind of fades a little bit after one game. But before we do, uh, you need to head to my bookie 
Whether you want to make a national title bet or wager on this weekend's games, my bookie has you covered. My bookie is always the right play. You bet, you win, they pay. Have some fun with betting this season. My bookie lets you bet on which college coaches will get fired, who will make the college football playoff, or win the Heisman Trophy. You can even bet on halftime lines and live odds. If by the second half it looks like your bet is going to lose, you can always just take the other side. And my bookie also allows you to bet on FBS versus FCS games. Right now, double your first deposit at my bookie. Use promo code Gators to activate the offer. Visit my bookie online today at mybookie.ag. That's M Y B O O K I E.ag. And don't forget to use promo code Gators when creating your account to claim the bonus. Bet, win, get paid at my bookie. And guys, you have got to try UFM underwear. Underwear for Men is the only brand of men's underwear that offers both isolation and support, all while keeping you cool. Unlike other pouch underwear brands that have thin mesh panels or pre-sized pouches, Underwear for Men's patented pending design prevents skin-on-skin contact and eliminates chafing. Underwear for Men is a state of Florida company and has you covered no matter the activity. Everyday underwear, athletic underwear, work underwear, medical underwear, Underwear for Men is made for it all. Try your pair now. Head over to ufmunderwear.com and use promo code BREAKDOWN to get $5 off your pair of UFM underwear. UFM underwear, support your manhood. So, Will, at the side of the ball, we thought we could count on and go back to the offense and where, you know, we looked at the stat line and said, hey, you look at that stat line on offense, you would feel pretty good about walking out of Baton Rouge with a victory. Well, that didn't happen because of uh, uh, what the defense uh, was not able to do Saturday night to, in Baton Rouge. So a little bit of update as well from uh, Dan Mullen and his Monday press conference. Uh, Jonathan Grenard, Jabari Zuniga, game time decisions versus South Carolina. Not really a surprise when you think about it and the uh, ankle high ankle sprains that they're dealing with. Uh, and, you know, of course, that kind of lets us go back to, to this past game and how Florida struggled to stop LSU on the ground and, yeah, and the way South Carolina ran on Georgia at times. So you have players that are that are filling in for Gennard and Zuniga, like we saw Saturday night. You know, Jeremiah Moon, Ankrum, Zach Carter, Bogle, Diabate. Uh, they're going to have to fill in and be reliable players. Will uh, they're granted? This Florida defense will not see another offense like this LSU offense, and and how they approach the game from the offensive side of the ball, spread you out, and, and, and you know, and, and the passing game. So uh, the effect of a limited Zuniga and, and no Grenard may have not produced, you know, it, 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 and then it's just the, the way it, it, it did affect the, this Florida defense with a limited Zuniga, no Grenard. Could you have gotten better results for the defense? You know, if they were out there, maybe, maybe there's a one strip sack fumble or something of the like to, to with one of those, with one of those guys or, or both of those guys are out there you know, that keeps at least one LSU drive from happening. But, you know, we don't really know. That's all hypothetical uh, at this point. We do know the players that were out there weren't able to produce a sack, a tackle for loss, or, or help create any turnovers. Uh, you know, I say coming up this weekend, you know, rest Gennard Zuniga if you can versus South Carolina, especially if, if Ryan Holisky uh, isn't going to play. These other guys behind them are going to have to show up. They're going to have to get better. But part of it also is, you know, just looking at it on the surface, they're not playing LSU's offense. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that makes a big difference, right? I, it, I've seen a lot of different people point at different aspects of the defense, and some of it is the defensive ends missing. Some of it is some play that maybe they think is lackluster at the defensive back or the corner. But, I mean, I got to tell you, going back and looking at the tape, it's a complete system failure, right? <laughs> like mm. it's, it's a running play where everybody gets blasted off the ball, not just not just one guy, not just two guys. You know, the entire defensive line gets carried back a couple of yards. The linebackers get mauled at the second level. The safety takes a bad angle, and it's a touchdown. I mean, oh, in, the one, in the one play you look at, it, people will go to read reaction and read Will's article. It, it is the line of scrimmage changed on that. <laughs> I mean, it got pushed back, like you said, two or three yards. Yeah, well, I mean, and you had the one play where they were out of position and and got run over the right. I think Will mentioned that on the, uh, on the pod yesterday. So it, it's one of those things where – you can't give up. I mean, this this should be pretty obvious, but you can't give up three 30-plus yard runs, um, two of which go for touchdowns. So they had a 57-yard run that almost went for a touchdown, and then a 39-yard run that went for a touchdown, a 33-yard run that went for a touchdown. You, you just can't give those up. You can't get gashed in the running game um, normally, but when you've got a quarterback as hot as Burrow, you, you absolutely can. Yeah. I mean, that was the thing. I, I don't – I think it was like midway through the third quarter. I was like, holy crap, like LSU's finally got a third down. Like we weren't even getting them to third downs, let alone there was, getting- no, there was no chance for third and Grantham because we couldn't get them in third down. <laughs> well, it was second and Grantham <laughs> because they kept getting touchdowns. But, yeah. but I, I mean, look, it, it's we, we joke a little bit. I, I think they ran up against a buzzsaw. I really do. Yep. 10.6 yards per play is ridiculous. 48 plays and 511 yards. And like I said earlier, if you take away their seven explosive plays, which again, 15% of their plays went for 20 or more yards. But if you take those, and they average 38 yards on those plays, but if you take away those seven plays, they still average six yards a play, which is still like a top 15 or top 20 offense in FBS. So, I mean, that team is loaded. It's stacked. Burrow was making all the right reads. Every time a guy was open, he hit him right in stride, which meant he didn't have to stop and he could run forever. It, it was and, – and Burrow has been special this year. I mean, coming into the game, he had a yards above replacement of 3.33. It went up to 3.51. This this was the, I think, fifth of sixth games for him where he's had a passer rating up over 200. It's like, you know, the guy isn't missing. He's incredibly accurate. We talked about Trask's accuracy a lot over the course of the year. Burrow's completing like 80% of his passes. I, mm-hmm. I think they ran into a buzzsaw. I think they got a little bit frustrated. I think they started jumping out of gaps. And the minute that, ha- you know, I think they got blocked really well on the opening, uh, yeah. on the opening long run. Burrow sort of drove him down the field for the second one. It was a little bit more of a muted drive on the second one. I don't think they had any big plays when they went up 14-7. to And then from then on, I think Florida just got frustrated, started jumping out of gaps, started jumping out of their assignments, didn't necessarily trust their teammates to do what they were supposed to do because LSU is so good, right? I mean, that's what a good offense does. So I, I, I expect they're going to come back and play much better against South Carolina for two reasons. One is I think that they're going to take the tape and learn from it. Um, I think they'll be embarrassed and they'll probably come out and play much better and much more focused. But then the other thing I think that they'll do is that they're going to be not be playing Joe Burrow and they're not going to be playing the LSU offensive line and they won't have Edwards Hilaire as running back. And I think that's going to make more difference than anything. I think Florida's, like I said, I think Florida just ran into a buzzsaw. Sometimes the other team's better. You tip your cap to them and say, eh, we're going to look at the film to try to improve. But at the end of the day, um, we just hope that, I mean, in some respects, maybe we want Alabama to win that game against LSU. 
Yeah, that was going to be a good one when it, when it rolls around here. Uh, of course, a, a lot, you know, you brought it up too. A lot is definitely being made of Grantham and, and the scheme uh, Saturday night. Uh, of course, he was probably counting on some kind of participation and production from Grenard and Zaniga. After, after that, you know, point, you could definitely argue and, and wanting to see Grantham bring more blitz pressure and, and try to force Burrow to, to throw with pressure in his face. But the few times they did try to blitz, it either wasn't getting there or if he got close, he, Burrow was still completing the passes. And LSU's offense was just a, just a step ahead most of the time. I, I was surprised as far as the secondary goes that the DB stayed off of LSU's wide receivers as much as they did. Surprising adjustment was it made to try and jam the LSU wide receivers, get the timing off of uh, of their right uh, off of their routes, and this LSU offense is really based on on timing here. You know, and maybe that affects Burrow a, a bit. But the game plan was was to not let big plays beat you, and you know, but those came from the run game anyway, uh, like you were saying. So the defense couldn't stop the LSU offense with what they were doing, and I can see the argument for wanting to try something different. Uh, we did see an adjustment of Trey Dean getting taken out and Marco Wilson inserted at star while Kyrie Elam filled in at the outside cornerback spot. Uh, an adjustment where Brad Stewart fake coming up on a Burrow pass on one of those RPOs. And when Burrow went to throw, Stewart backed off and, and tipped the ball in the air. All in all, you know, I'm a fan of Grantham. Uh, most people who've listened to this podcast, they know that. Uh, in the end, he's just, as you said, Will, facing a really good offense, walked into a buzzsaw. Uh, and that's an offense that's own right now. Uh, the plenty of instances where players were in position to make plays and, and did not, whether it was missed tackles or just not batting the ball away. Plenty of instances early on where the Gators defensive line, uh, just you know, they were getting held early on. The referees weren't calling it, but you know, there were times of, of misalignments and, and not holding contain. You know, so for the defense, that was just an all around bad performance. Credit to LSU for getting Florida off balance early on. and Gators just couldn't adjust or on the sideline or the field. Yeah, well, if you're going to criticize Grantham, I think the one place you can probably criticize him is that when he plays experienced quarterbacks, they tend to be able to isolate some of the things that he's trying to do. And I know there was the there was the HBO special and some and some things where they talked about like identifying where the fourth guy's coming from. Mm-hmm. Well, if you identify where the fourth guy's coming from and block him. Um, watch out because <laughs> once you identify that, it gives you an opportunity. You're not, if you don't get any pressure, they didn't get any pressure on, on Burrow. Um, you know, the reality is those guys who are experienced have the ability to take this defense apart. And we saw that last year with Drew Locke. We saw it last year. And in fact, that's kind of what this reminded me of was that yeah. performance against Missouri last year. And again, that performance against Missouri was not indicative of how the defense played the entire year. But it was one of those things where there was an experienced quarterback who got the ball out quickly, who frustrated the defense, and then all of a sudden there were big plays there. And I think the guys who are out on that LSU offense are better than the guys that Missouri had out on their offense last year. But this was something we talked about coming into the year was that this was going to be the stretch because you had Burrow, who's coming back for his second year starting. We thought we were going to see Jake Bentley for South Carolina, so there was going to be experience there. And then you got Jake Fromm coming up after the bye week, and this was going to sort of be the three games that would test the defense. Obviously, they failed the first test there, but again, I go back to what did we expect coming into this four-game stretch? I think we expected, we hoped Florida would go 3-1, and one, and that goal still exists. And so, you know, there, there's reason for optimism from the offensive side. There's reason to believe that this is an outlier, and that the defense is going to return much more to what it was pre this game, um, especially if those guys start to get healthy. Again, though, I think the the concern that you maybe have is I thought we were pretty healthy coming into this game. And obviously the two defensive ends go down. 
but the narrative sort of coming in was, hey, Florida's healthy. They were a little bit banged up earlier in the year, and now they're starting to get those guys back. Well, obviously, after the first quarter, that wasn't really the case, and uh, and they suffered for it. So hopefully it's an outlier. We certainly will see. Um, but, again, I think this is one where you maybe just bury the tape and say, yeah. <laughs> say move on. Absolutely. All right, Will. I uh, did throw up since we uh, optimism and, and the fan base out there is optimism, so I threw it out on Twitter for fans to kind of send – um, you know, their reactions, uh, and, and what they think of where, uh, they can feel optimistic and where they can feel not too optimistic, uh, for the rest of the season right now. So, uh, M John's 404 says really like the heart and guts the Gators showed in the game Saturday. They never really flinched until the very end. Trask is a real deal. Worried about depth on lines of scrimmage. That defensive line was really ordinary without Grenard and Zaniga and without the rush the D is a no go. And, it really is with with Grant's style of defense. If uh, and that, for that's true for most defenses, honestly. If you're not getting a pass rush, I don't care how good your defensive backs are, especially when you play wide receivers as talented as LSU and what they bring to the table and a quarterback that's on right now. The offense is going to have the advantage. They're always going to have the advantage in that situation uh, there. But yeah, I mean, going back to the beginning, uh, really like the heart and guts the Gators showed. I mean. That was wonderful to see. Uh, this team didn't flinch. You didn't see a whole lot of false starts from the offensive line in in that in that scenario, in that crazy crowd noise, in that crazy atmosphere. Kyle Trask, Emory Jones handled themselves very well. I mean, for all in all, one of the worries going into that game is, you know, and they didn't flinch, you know, when LSU scores first either. That was there was some there was plenty of chances to fold uh for this Gator offense, for this Gator team, uh, and, and they didn't do it. Yeah, I mean, I think we've watched for years under Muschamp and under McIlwain, the defense pick up the offense. And I think in this game, the offense picked up the defense, right? If the offense had been pedestrian, this is an embarrassing loss and it's a much different conversation. But the offense, A, was able to keep LSU off the field and B, was able to really convert, especially when they got down the red zone. And it made the game competitive, made the game fun to watch. Sometimes it's going to happen, right? The offense needs to pick up the defense. The defense needs to pick up the offense. It's going to happen for LSU at some point this year. They're going to run into somebody who has a scheme or a personnel or matchups that that make it difficult for them, and they're going to have to squeak one out where the defense makes play. Florida, in this case, needed the offense to be a little bit better than it was, just wasn't able to pull it out. But again, I think you look at it and say those guys fought. They had an opportunity at the end, and, and in some capacity that makes you not happy, but at least makes you optimistic about what the future holds. All right, let's see. You're trying to read this. Uh, JB Johns 1112 says, Biggest concern is Forsyth and DeLance are elite DBs and elite against an average quarterback. That said, this is exactly where I'd hope we'd be at this point in the season. Positives Georgia looks beatable if we can get Zuniga and Grenard healthy. Trask has, Trask has been as good as we've said for years. And uh, it does go to the tackles here, Will, and uh, very you know inconsistent performance here. Uh, from uh, from this Florida Gator offensive line, you know, uh, there was a couple screen passes uh, where that have been struggles in the season so far this year. Uh, I know Cole Kubik tweeted out today where Forsyth basically had uh, two pancakes on one screen pass there to to the left side of the field, and, and you know that that was a that was a big game there. Delance on the the screen to Swain on a third and ten that helped picked up a all important first down, but you know all in all the inconsistent performance again. Delance was the um, got to the second level on the last option play, uh, Florida's last offensive play of the game. He makes that block, then Trask and P Ryan have you know their their pitch guy 
uh, the guy defending the pitch, you know, two on one. Uh, so you probably score there if Delance hits his block there on the second level. So, I mean, it's really not a surprise, Will. I mean, it's pretty much the same story we've seen from this offensive line. I do think they're taking steps. They do get a little help when Emory Jones is there at quarterback. But, uh, you know, this, I didn't really expect, you know, them to, to go to Baton Rouge and all of a sudden just figure it out. I mean, look, they had the one holding call. There was a false start that was actually on Pitts when he flinched on the outside. That was it. And so for a young offensive line that struggled all year, I think they played pretty well. I think they acquitted themselves decently. Now, I think there were probably some holding calls that could have been made on the Florida offensive line. In particular, there was one where Delance seemed to grab an LSU defender on the touchdown Emory Jones threw. Um, yeah, I, I think it's, again, it goes back to what did you think – like we sort of talked about this coming into the year is what's the baseline for this offensive line. They're going to improve from there. And I think we sort of saw that the baseline of this offensive line is significantly behind where the baseline of last year's was. So to expect them to be where last year's offensive line was six games in this year after six games I th- or seven games, I think is an unreasonable thing. I think what we want to see is that in game 12, they're, significantly further than they are in this game. And and I, I suspect that's what we're going to see because there are subtle improvements that are happening, but there are still missed assignments and there are mm-hmm. still, there are still areas where people look tentative and you can't look tentative in a game like this and expect to move the ball extensively, but you know, they move the ball pretty well. So, and certainly they're holding up in pass protection, which is allowing Florida to take advantage of some of the places where they have advantages. So uh, I, I don't know that I don't know what people really expected out of the offensive line coming in here. Um, I think they played probably better than I expected given the environment. Well, here's one I think 99% of uh, Gator Nation can get behind. The direction of the program moving forward, we have got ourselves a ball coach. Dan and his wife are dynamic, optimistic. We won't have to hire an offensive coordinator for 10 years. My biggest worry is I'm going to drink too much at Florida, Georgia. Go Gators. So <laughs> that comes from uh, John Williams there. So uh, a wonderful tweet there, especially uh, the last part, drinking too much at Florida, Georgia. That's just, uh, it just goes hand in hand uh, there. So, uh, but yeah, the direction of the program and uh, like, you know, the second part, we have ourselves a ball coach and man, well, I'll tell you, I mean, the first half and that first drive of the second half, I mean, that was, you know, uh, yes, it was long drives. It was kind of, you know, what I said, Florida would need to do to keep LSU's offense on the sideline uh, there. I mean, it was, it was methodical drives. They knew they knew they had mismatches in places. They they targeted their playmakers. Kyle Pitts was getting the ball. Uh, you saw some creative creativeness as well as getting toward the, the red zone and seeing some of those sweeps and reverses uh, there with the receivers. I mean, that, like I said, that 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 first half, that first drive uh, of the second half, and then going all the way to the third one interception. I mean, those those are some drives that Dan Mullen uh, really called pretty well uh, to keep the Gators in position. Yeah, anybody who watched the South Carolina-Georgia game knows why you would be um, excited about having Dan Mullen <laughs> as your head coach. Because, <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I messaged you after that game, and I may actually I may actually end up doing it. Like, it almost deserves its own running diary for the idiocy of the coaching calls. I mean, just ridiculous stuff over and over in that game. It was smart, out-must-champing, must-champ. And it was, it was glorious to watch, and it makes you appreciate what you have when you have a coach like Dan Mullen who's able to take advantage of those mismatches and do those sorts of things. Um, and, yeah, from an on-field perspective, he's he's awesome, right? I mean, I, there's nothing in that game plan that I look at and say, eh, I would have changed. The only thing I would say is that there was a fourth down where he was just a little bit before midfield, and 
if he had a feeling that Florida's defense wasn't going to be able to stop LSU, maybe you go for it there. Mm-hmm. But everywhere else, I think he made the right calls. I mean, I think the the offense was clearly prepared. They clearly knew that they could take advantage of some of those back shoulder throws. They knew they could take advantage of Kyle Pitts when Pitts started to get bumped at the at the uh, at the line of scrimmage, or when they rotated a safety over to cover him. All of a sudden, Van Jefferson's open for that opening drive in the second half. I mean, LSU came out and Orgeron basically was like, "Stop Pitts, stop Pitts, stop <laughs> Pitts," was his plan, and Florida knew it too, right? And so all of a sudden, Van Jefferson's open. So I, I think there was a lot of stuff to be optimistic about the way that Mullen coaches. I think we're always going to be in games when even against opponents who maybe have more talent or maybe have, um, you know, at least on the recruiting basis, have more talent. But I think the, the downside to what we've seen thus far with Mullen, or at least maybe an area for improvement showed up too. I mean, when you talk about the defensive ends being injured, um, you know, the, the um, you know, there need to be people there to step up. And that's one of the things that that the program needs to improve long term if it's going to compete. Now, that doesn't mean that he's not going to be able to do that. That doesn't mean that he's not going to be able to overcome that. But it does mean that when you get an injury or two, those things start to take hold. So, you know, would would I rather have Georgia? Would I rather have the elite recruiting of Georgia and the coaching debacle I saw on Saturday? Or would I rather have the the players that Florida has and the coach I saw there? I think long term, I'd rather have the coach just because it's not going to drive me crazy. But I'm not, <laughs> but I'm not obtuse enough to say recruiting doesn't matter. I think it does. I think it's both. And the question that's really fascinating for the SEC East over the next five six years is going to be which one wins. Yeah, which one figures it out first? Yeah, yeah. Uh, here we go. Uh, Kayvon six two eight says very optimistic about the offensive line coming around. I saw good signs that are that they are slowly getting it. I am concerned about this. Is interesting here, Will. I am concerned. I think you brought this up earlier too. I'm concerned about the offensive package for Emory Jones. It's too predictable when he comes in. They need to open the playbook for him. I mean, honestly, what he's asked to do when he comes in there are staples of Mullen's offense, especially in some of those situations, especially in some of those short yardage situations. Most of the time it works. I mean, and and you see the offense kind of grow from there. So, I mean, I, I get the worry. I, I get the, the, uh, the concern there. It's just that history tells us for the most part it works. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's, it's numbers, right? Yeah. I mean, that, that's what it ends up being. It ends up being numbers. Now the problem is, is that your offensive line has to win the numbers in order for that to make a difference. And so if one guy gets blown into the backfield, I mean, it doesn't matter that you had six on five. Um, and the other thing is, is that when you bring in Emory Jones, the defense knows he's he's running. And so even if the safety doesn't necessarily come up to the line of scrimmage before the snap, he's usually leaning that way. And you hope that at some point they're going to be able to take, a, be able to take advantage of the fact that he's leaning that way. But um, again, I, I don't have any problems with the offensive game plan in this one. I think it was an effective game plan. I think they got done what they wanted to get done. Um, you know, they'd like to take back the interception. Maybe they'd like to take back, um, you know, the holding on the on the little screen pass. But beyond that, a few little mistakes. I, I think you need to be impressed with the offense. All right. Last one here from Greg Ons says, uh, this is a quote from Brandon Zism, Z- Zimmerman of SEC Network, says, uh, quote, a division that everyone thought would be taken by Georgia is suddenly wide open. ESPN's FPI gives Georgia a 42% chance to win the SEC East. Here we go. A little bit of surprise here, followed by Missouri at 32% and Florida at 23%. So Greg goes on to say, my worry is that Brandon above is correct in his prognostication 
That is my worry, but still, these Gators control their own destiny despite losing a tough game to LSU. Go Gators, just win. So ESPN's FBI, well, you know, that thing is all over the place. It changes every week, it seems. So, of course, it's taken in accounts from uh, the, the, the past week's games there. But it, it will catch people's eye that uh, Missouri, percentage-wise, is, is you know now second in the SEC East. Uh, their schedule much easier than uh, – uh, than, than Florida's, but they still have to play Florida. They still have to play Georgia, uh, but they still are playing teams coming up that they should beat. So it will come down to, you know, Florida, Missouri, and Georgia. And Missouri has those teams back to back. Georgia the week before they play Florida. So it will come. It will come down to those two weeks uh, more than likely after what happens in Jacksonville with Florida and Georgia. But uh, you know, there's a third team in the mix, Will, that we probably should be talking about a little bit more. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think Missouri kind of gets that percentage by default. Yeah. Because if Florida comes in and beats Georgia, Florida's winning. Yep. If Georgia beats Florida, then that means Missouri has to lose to both Georgia and Florida in order to fall behind Florida. Um, so it, it's really just a matter of um, it, it's a matter of logistics in terms of how the schedule falls, and then also. Um, you know, obviously Florida has South Carolina and Vanderbilt still on the schedule too. And, and you want to pencil those in, you should pencil those in, but you know, <laughs> stranger things have happened. I mean, those things may even be, they may be 75, 25 in Florida's favor, but yeah, hey, like, like, uh, like South Carolina beating Georgia. It, well, and, and as you play, uh, <laughs> I thought we were gonna get to that later. Now. So yeah, as you, as you look at it, sneak it in. <laughs> Well, as you get to Missouri's schedule, I mean, Ole Miss, who they've already beaten in Arkansas, right? I mean, they're not yeah. – like, those games are more 90-10. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess we should talk about Missouri, but let's be honest. If Missouri wins the East, then nobody's beating LSU or Alabama in the SEC championship game. Yeah, and more of, like I said, more of a part of their schedule. And, but I guess they're on probation, right? So they can't even go anyway? There is a thing about that. Yeah, there's appeal. they are appealing. I think the rule is they still can't go even though they're under appeal. So I don't even know. It, it, and I believe the uh, the uh, the sanction they have would count for the SEC title game as well because it's a postseason ban. And the SEC championship game is part of the postseason. So even if they do somehow end up with a better record, I still don't know if they can get to Atlanta because of the, the sanctions they're on. That's going to make for some really weird rooting towards the end of the year. <laughs> if it comes down to get it, getting into the SEC championship game because you're second in the, in the division. Hey, Auburn did it in the mid-90s, right? They couldn't go to the uh, SEC title game. Hey, man, I'll take it. One more football game of Florida is, is better than not. So. <laughs> All right, well, yeah, before we wrap up here, uh, I know uh, you we've kind of mentioned it throughout the episode. I know uh, you and I, of course, and all Gator Nation was joking around about it, Georgia losing to South Carolina. Uh, that's Florida's next opponent uh, coming up. Of course, we'll see what happens with Ryan Helensky and if he can go uh, for the Gamecocks. I doubt it, uh, but South Carolina still brings you know two good defenders up front uh, with the SEC Defensive Lineman of the Week and Javon Kinlaw. Uh, DJ Wanham at their buck position, rushing the quarterback and, and getting the backfield there. So good test for this Florida offensive line, but it is the team South Carolina that's coming off a big victory versus Georgia. Yeah, I mean, you know, they had the pick six against against Fromm, obviously, for seven points, and they didn't score after after Holinsky left, I don't believe, except for the field goal in overtime, which is basically a gift, right? I mean, at that point, um, other than the fact that they missed a field goal that would have won it <laughs> in the first overtime, 
you know, those are the only points they got. So I think you can be pretty confident that that South Carolina is going to struggle to score if Holinsky's not in there. And it looked like a pretty significant knee injury just in terms of, you know, it's not like Trask two weeks ago where he was able to come back in in that game and they were still running him and, and running a, you know, a throwback from Kroll or anything like that. I mean, Holinsky was sitting on the, on the sideline getting nice down and, and he's going to be sore and limited if he's able to play. And if he's not able to play, granted, their, their third string quarterback will get some time and reps in practice this week, but I expect them to be relatively limited, sort of in the same way they were against Georgia. Yeah, so, I was talking to my South Carolina buddies today. They they don't think he plays. They just, they think he's too hurt, and it's just kind of gamesmanship from from us champ bringing it up. Sure, but you know, I mean, that's what you do, right? Yep, you need to get yep. the opponent to prepare for both of them. Um, one of the things I think that Florida does have an advantage is that the quarterback for South Carolina is similar to Emory Jones when you think about his the package he's going to run. I mean, he ran a lot during that game, the the read option, those sorts of things. Um, so it's nothing that they haven't seen in practice. It's nothing that they won't have won't have experienced. And so I expect the defense to play well. I expect South Carolina's scoring to be low. And so then the question is, can Florida's offense move the ball in South Carolina? Certainly, Kinlaw especially was wreaking havoc in that Florida backfield. And, you know, the three interceptions from, from the defensive back for, for South Carolina, one of them returned for a touchdown. If they get one or two of those, then it could always turn the game. But I think Florida, especially just based on the quarterback situation, needs to be a heavy favorite going in. Um, certainly, I think it's going to come out motivated after the loss, but it is a road game in Columbia at noon. Those games tend to be games that uh, get a little bit wonky, just like the uh, just like the Georgia one did last weekend. That's right. That's right. All right. Well, uh, what you got coming up on read reaction this week? Of course, uh, I'm sure a South Carolina preview there. Yeah, there will be a South Carolina preview. And then, uh, like I said, I, I might actually write about that South Carolina Georgia game. Um, if for no other reason, just to point out the types of things that, that Florida doesn't see from its coaches, um, you know, timeouts with a minute 40 left and then leaving Georgia plenty of time to move down the field and, you know, timeouts with one second on the play clock and all the different things that went on in that game that were really indicative of one of the reasons why we should be really thankful we have Dan Mullen. So we'll see. I, I Most of the time when I go off from Florida football to write, the, the readership isn't that high, but um, this one's one of those where I'm like, it's it, it was so entertaining. I think I got to revisit it. You can just include it in your South Carolina PDF. <laughs> well, there you go, man. Just got to make sure that people read about uh, about Kirby and, and his uh, foibles. We'll let the uh, we'll let the Georgia fan base pick up on it. Uh, <laughs> we'll get we'll get somebody posted in their uh, in their chat room over there. That yeah. was one of the most enjoyable things actually about the the win from South Carolina was just going over the twenty four seven boards for for Georgia. That that was pretty awesome. I mean they they're trying to fire Coley and, and yeah. you know what was it? I think Christopher Zinn tweeted out that uh, something along the lines of Kirby is ricked with Muschamp's haircut. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that one was pretty good. Yeah, we gotta have fun while we're at it. It's time to uh, time time to beat the dogs, but uh, you know it's a couple more weeks for that. So hopefully, hopefully, hopefully that game comes around in Jacksonville. You know, it's uh, two teams with uh, two teams with one loss to be fighting for the East. Yeah, I think Florida's offense has found itself more than they had last year yeah. in the game against Georgia. The question is going to be, can the defense get healthy enough to be able to stop Georgia? But obviously, Georgia has some issues on the offensive side of the ball, too, that uh, that Florida hopefully will be able to exploit. That, that one's going to be a good game. I think last year it was competitive into the fourth quarter, but I think Georgia was the better team. 
you know, we'll see. I mean, obviously there have been guys who've left the wide receiver position specifically. Um, and if, if they've got some guys, if Florida has guys up front who can wreak some havoc, they can make it a game. All right. That's Will Miles. You can find him on Twitter at Will Miles SEC and his site, readandreaction.com. I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.